Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're starting tonight. And you know, if you've been a part of this study chronologically, where we are is that Paul is in this period, this, this two-year period when he is a prisoner in Rome. Uh, but he's not, in, he's not in a prison. He's in a rented house, uh, but he's, he is confined there. He is a prisoner. But people are able to come in and go, you know, to study with him or whatever. And, uh, and there's people he's, he's reaching through this. But what he's done is he has written, uh, to this point, we've seen three letters that he wrote that we call prison epistles. Two of them went to the same place, and that was Colossae. And the two letters were Philemon and Colossians. That makes sense, doesn't it, Colossians? Uh, and the reason Philemon goes to that city is because the man Philemon was a leader in the church in Colossae. In fact, the church was meeting in his home. Uh, his son was also effective in some way in the church in Colossae. Uh, and there was a runaway slave that was coming back that Philemon's relationship needed to be uh, needed to be mended, if you will. It needed to be a Christian relationship because this man had been converted now. The other letter is, uh, the letter of Colossians, is very parallel to the book of Ephesians. Uh, the primary difference, though, is the letter of, of Colossians is showing us the church from the perspective of the head of the church, and uh, the book of Ephesians is showing us the church from the perspective of the body and the blessings that we receive from Christ. And so, if you were here Sunday, we went through chapters 1 and 2. And specifically, the thing that was emphasized in those two chapters had to do with all these blessings that are found in Him. In fact, verse 3 kind of set the stage for that, talking about how all spiritual blessings are in Christ. And then He keeps listing off all of these things like redemption and forgiveness of sin and inheritance and, and all of these things. But in chapter 2, He really started to emphasize... Uh, Unity, uh, unity, especially as it relates to the fact that this church is a Gentile church, and you know the Jews really didn't think a whole lot of the Gentiles, and the Gentiles didn't think a whole lot of the Jews before Christianity, and some of that had carried into this time of the Christian age as well, which is why Paul ended up as a prisoner in the first place, wasn't it? Okay, so uh, so he's writing chapter two from the perspective of building up their unity as a church and what they're supposed to be and when they are what they're supposed to be that God is glorified in the church. As we get into chapter three, that's going to get a little bit deeper, and then in chapter four and following, he's going to get very practical with some of the things that he's already mentioned. But I want to start in verse nineteen of chapter two, and then we'll keep going into chapter three because you notice that. Uh, Chapter 3 begins for this reason. So you've got to know what the reason is, right? So we back up and we start in verse 19, and we read this. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. Now I want to stop there just a second. 
I know it's not the end of the verse, but I want to stop there because I'm going to highlight something after we kind of set the stage where we are. What he's talking about is their unity and their being built on this foundation of the truth and the, the cornerstone that the foundation is, is based off of is Jesus himself. And so that's where all this unity is found in the truth on him. And so he says, now, the, that's the reason that I'm even a prisoner. Why was he arrested? Because everywhere he went, he taught the truth, and the Jews opposed him. And especially as he went back to Jerusalem. Because that's where, that's where he'd been, isn't it? That's where he was trained, that's where he was raised, that's where, that's where he himself had gained power and influence. And so they especially had opposition to him as he would go back to Jerusalem. And that's how he ended up being arrested. And so now he writes to the brethren in Ephesus, and he says, to Gentiles in Ephesus, says, look... Your unity with the Jews is the reason I've been arrested because I'm going to I'm going to keep teaching that it's the truth. If you if you paid attention, then you know what I've been teaching. But I'm going to start again right there, and I just want to talk about. You notice where I stopped there in verse uh, verse three was the beginning of a parenthesis. All right, and that goes down to the end of verse four. I want to work on the parentheses first, and then I want to back up and start again and read the verse the the sentence without the parentheses makes it easier to understand that way. So, in the parentheses, he says, As I wrote before in a few words, by which you, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So he's been talking about their unity, Jew and Gentile unity, and he says, this is not the first time I've, I've written about it. I've talked about this for, before. I've written about this before. In fact, remember when he wrote to the church of Corinth how much he talked about unity? Their, their biggest issue was division. Now, they had a lot of things that caused that division to occur but they were divided so he writes about it quite a bit in fact he writes about that and preaches about that just about everywhere he is and so he says i know you've read it and i know that you understand but listen sometimes having knowledge doesn't mean you put it into practice all right so let's back up again now and we're going to start in verse one again and this time when we get to that parenthesis we're going to skip down to verse five for this reason i paul the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. These are long sentences, right? So you kind of get the whole sentence, but you see how when you left out that parenthesis, how things flowed? He says, listen, I'm a prisoner because this is the message God gave me to teach, and I went out and I taught it. And that message is that this mystery that's been that everybody's wanted to know all of this time, when it kind of is when it is revealed, the mystery was actually that the gospel is to all, to all men. See, they missed that back in the Old Testament. The Jews said, "Well, you know, God is the God of the Jews, and He gave us this law because we're so special, and we can trace our lineage back to Abraham, and so that makes us special." Even though they didn't do anything to to be a descendant of Abraham, did they? I mean, did you choose your parents? No. So they didn't do anything to be a part of that, but they took great pride in it, and that's why they looked down upon the Gentiles, because they couldn't do that. 
And so Paul says this mystery that nobody understood, and a mystery is something that is being revealed. He says it's now being revealed through the prophets and apostles, meaning God's doing it by inspiration. And the message is Jew and Gentile are one in the body. That's an amazing statement. In fact, he's going to hit on it again here in just a minute and talk about what it shows to the world. And I've, I've talked about that many times recently, so I want to highlight it again as we, as we keep going. Verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Stop there just a second. Uh, he didn't have the same view of himself as I do. You know, when we think of the Apostle Paul, we think he's, you know, one of the great apostles, right? Besides the fact that he's an apostle, that's high enough for me, right? But he's, you look at all the things we read about him. All the places that he goes, all of the letters that are written by him, by inspiration. I mean, God used him for all of these things. That, that's got to mean he's pretty significant, right? And yet when he looks at himself, he considers him the least of the least. The chief of all sinners. Yeah. I'll tell you where I think is the the major sticking point with Paul. Uh, The major sticking point with Paul was in the book of Acts. When he's there in the city of Jerusalem. And there's a young deacon who's preaching. And he is saying... He's going back through all the prophecies and the history of this nation. And then he talks about the gospel fulfilling all of that and the gospel going to all. And that that person was killed by the authority of Saul of Tarsus. His name was Stephen, wasn't it? He didn't ever forget that. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't ever forget that. Was he forgiven? Yes. But here's the thing. He, he never forgot it because it kept him where he needed to be. See, as Christians, it's really kind of a, it's a difficult thing. Uh, sometimes forgiving yourself is harder than forgiving somebody else. Uh, because you know your failures and you know your weaknesses and you know how many times you failed the very same way, right? And so that can become a little bit frustrating or discouraging or whatever. And so you kind of have a hard time forgiving yourself. But on the other hand, sometimes we get so so intent on God's forgiveness that we forget everything about the past and when that happens we don't learn a lesson and so we don't grow when you fail you can be forgiven but you don't want to forget about it because you grow that's the reason Paul identifies himself this way and that's also the reason by the way he was so zealous to go to the Gentiles when God sent him because he felt like he was the worst and he had been forgiven of the most and so he loved the most. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. In his message. All right. Let me start again there in verse 8 and keep going. He said that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages had been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, they didn't get it, did they? Keep going. To the intent, that word means purpose, for the purpose of, he says, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church 
to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Okay. We, meaning all, Jew and Gentile. Paul's message is Jew and Gentile together. And then he says God's plan all along was that his wisdom would be shown in the world by what? You don't see where he's talking about his wisdom? What was the purpose of the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by what? The church. Okay, I want to tell you this. That's not a statement talking about what we say. That's a statement talking about who we are as the body. Jew, Gentile, different backgrounds, different uh, education. Remember I've highlighted this recently because this is what he's been highlighted. This is where he really brings it together. And, and I would challenge anybody to find any institution that has ever been on the face of the earth at any point in history that could take so many different people and make them one and stay successful. It just doesn't happen. Now there's been, there's been forced obedience at times, right? Throughout history. There's been some forced obedience. But that's not the same thing, is it? That's not unity. But the church reveals the wisdom of God because this is the one place where you can take anybody. We sing the song, Just As I Am. Okay, that does not mean that you can walk with God and just stay the old person. But what it does mean is it doesn't matter who you are when you come to him, right? He can make you different. And that's the point Paul's making here. That's what he's been teaching and preaching. That's why it hurt him so much to, to know of his past because everything he's teaching now is what he had opposed then. And so he says, look, the church is actually showing the world the wisdom of God. And it was God's purpose all along. 13, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. It would become, you know, if you think about it, let's just say that the Apostle Paul came here and he worked here for, with us for, you know, years like he did the church at Ephesus. We'd grow close to him, right? Okay, and then what if we heard as he journeyed on to help other people, all of a sudden we got word that he'd been arrested He'd been shipped off to, to some capital, and he'd been a prisoner for all this time, beaten. He'd been in a, in a shipwreck. He'd been snake-bitten. What if we got that report? Would we start to worry? And how about this? The authority that he's going to stand before is also the authority over us, right? And so if they can get to him, they can probably get to me, can't they? And so if they can get to him, then I might... Well, like Rich was talking about a while ago, I might be a little more cautious about the things that I say, right? Or the things that I am. And so he says, no, no, don't let what's happening to me cause you to become discouraged. You keep being who you're supposed to be. Verse uh, 14. For this reason, the fact that they're supposed to not lose heart, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. And I've got to stop there just a second because it's getting too long and I want to catch some things in there. Does anybody know what the, the first psalm starts with? 
Psalm. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that what? Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Stands in the way of sinner. Sit in the seat of scorners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he is like a tree planted by the rivers. He should be nourished in his time, right? Okay. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying when they have the truth, they are rooted. And when they are rooted, they are united. And when they are united and rooted, they are encouraged. So he says the intent, the, pur- the purpose of keeping you faithful, the, is, is that's what I'm writing this about. The, to keep you faithful, you won't be discouraged about what's happening to me. But you stay strong by staying in the truth. You want to know how we're going to survive in today's world? The truth. That's it. See, we have this promise. There was a promise that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 16 uh, to Peter and the other apostles. When Peter had said that, you know, when Jesus had asked who people had said he was, and they had talked about that, and he said, what about you? And they said, he's the Christ, right? And he said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is never going to be defeated. It's not ever going to be defeated. We look around in our world, and we think that it could happen, right? We think that it may become, maybe someday it's going to become illegal here. Maybe that'll be a problem for us. But it didn't kill it in the first century, did it? Or the second? Or any other? And it won't today either. And so we stay in the truth. That's how we stay. I'll tell you the the quickest way to kill a congregation. You can't kill the church, but you can kill a congregation of the church. The quickest way? Bend. Bend to the world. And here's why. Because you quit being the church then. It doesn't matter what they do to you. You're not the church anymore. And so Paul is saying you've got you to keep hard and you've got to stay in the truth, rooted in the truth. That's what makes you who you are. He calls it the faith. Remember how many times we highlighted that in the book of Romans? The distinction between the law, which had been the old law, and the faith. The faith is what they have to know. It's the truth. That's how they follow him. So faith comes by Hearing and hearing by the truth, the Word of God. All right, keep reading. That's how Christ dwells in them, verse 17. uh, That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love what he says there. He says, the more you know about the truth, the more you know about the width and height and depth of God's love. Which, by the way, is unknowable. How can, it, how can we know it and yet it be unknowable? We can know what God tells us about it, but we are limited in how much of the understanding we can gain. Because we are finite beings. We can talk about the existence of deity. We can try to explain it, but to truly comprehend, think about it. To truly comprehend eternity, eternal existence? Is there anything that has ever been in your life that is eternal? No. Everything has a beginning and an end with us, doesn't it? But not Him. So it's hard to comprehend that. And that's the same way it is about God's love. It's so deep and wide and and long. And and if we can understand it, we're going to understand it by studying His Word. But even then, we're not going to fully ever understand it. Just how deep it is. But what do we learn about it in his word? 
Well, he loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place. That's what we learn, right? Keep going. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus through all ages, world without end. Amen. Well, that's a powerful verse. God is able to do what? Abundantly more than we could even imagine. Not not just what we ask for. Anything I ask for, I can imagine, right? More than I could even possibly imagine God is able to do. So, how do I not become discouraged and lose my faith? Stay in the truth. Listen to God and His love. And know that He can do anything that needs to be done. Alright, chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech or beg you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I want you to think about what he's just said. That therefore was a connecting word, right? So he's hanging on to what he has just said about their being united, about their being rooted in the truth, about them being encouraged by God's love and how deep it is and how powerful it is and about them being uh, faithful to him and enduring continuing to endure and now he says since all of that you know then act like it you never said that to your kids right you never said you know better than that when they did something that they weren't supposed to do right you know better than that this is god saying to us through paul to the church at ephesus saying to us you know better than that since you know god's love since you know what he's done for us since you know about the unity in this body then walk that way, live that way, act that way. Don't just know it, practice it. And when you do that, what does he say? Be low or humble, gentle, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. That doesn't mean, you know, what Rich was talking about a while ago with acceptance. That doesn't mean acceptance. It means sometimes we don't see eye to eye on some things that are not truth. I'm talking about things that are opinions. And we don't always see eye to eye on those things. And so things like that can become a divider of the body and change the way you and I walk. And so what we have to do is we have to be, we have to be committed to truth, to God's love, and to each other. And we'll get over those things. We'll keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now look at how he explains it. Verse 4. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, we often just take that passage and we pull it out by itself and we, and we start explaining stuff. There is one God, right? And there's one hope and there's one Father and there's, there's one baptism. In fact, that's the point we usually make. We say... Uh, you know, if, if there is one God, and in that same sentence there's one baptism, they're the same, aren't they? And if water baptism is what's found in the book of Acts in every case of conversion, then you know what the one baptism is, right? And that's a valid point. But think about the context. The context, the reason he writes all of these things is because everything connected to God is singular, is united. 
And so that's the way they're supposed to be as a body. The body of Christ is supposed to be united. Just like God the Father, though, we, though there are three personalities, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, yet they're one. All of what God has done is a united thing. And so the body is also supposed to be one. Now, why did the church at Corinth struggle with that? What were some of the things that were happening that caused them to struggle with that kind of unity? Well, they had preacheritis. That was the first thing that was mentioned, right? Anything else? You remember what was happening in chapters 12, 13, and 14? There were some things with the law. Huh? Yeah, miraculous gifts. They started having a problem with miraculous gifts because, well, I could speak in a tongue, which is a very public thing, and all you can do is whatever, interpret. You can't, what are you going to interpret if I'm not speaking? That makes me important to you, more important than you, right? And so they started listing off, ranking in order the most important of the spiritual gifts. That's why Paul in chapter 13 turns around and says, look, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It doesn't matter what I can do if I'm not practicing it for the right reason. It's worthless, right? Okay, reason I say that is because of the very next verse. He's talking about their unity and God's unity. And now look what he says. A contrast word. Verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I'm going to tell you before we keep reading. He's talking about miraculous things. Not everybody has the same opportunity. And I'll apply it to us today. Not everybody has the same talents, do they? Not everybody, therefore, has the same opportunities, do they? Does that mean one person is more important than another one? Isn't that the way Paul described it when he was talking about the body? How much more important is your foot than your leg? Well, tell me how your foot's going to work if you don't have a leg. And tell me how your leg works when you don't have a foot. It doesn't work right either way, does it? Not the way it's supposed to, right? And so the body, Paul says, can't say one part of the body, can't say to another part of the body, I have no need for you. If you didn't have the seeing, where would be the hearing? Or if you didn't have the hearing, where would be the seeing? And all this is connected. And so he says here, but God has given us, and, and these gifts that they were given, miraculous gifts, were not given, they didn't get a vote on it. It wasn't Harry Potter where they put a hat on and, and wished something to happen and they, they were selected for it. God chose for them what they had the ability to do. So if they were differing in gifts, it's because God chose them, right? So that's not something to fight over, is it? Is that something to be break up unity? Okay, keep reading. Therefore, because Christ gives this measure of gift, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. It was even prophesied. The psalmist said God was going to give gifts to men. And he did it. Miraculous gifts. Now this, this is a parenthesis. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So he throws in this parenthesis and says, by the way, we know that he ascended to the Father, right? Okay, what has to happen before you can ascend? You have to descend first, right? If you ascend back, you have to have been here, right? You can't. How can you be inside this building without being inside the building? If I said... And at, at 8 o'clock, everybody walked outside the building. 
What do you have to assume? Everybody was inside the building. Okay, so Paul says in order for him to ascend, he first had to descend. And the descending was God making him man. That's God's love for us. And then because of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, then just like he told the apostles in John 14 and John 16, the other comforter came. And the other comforter brought with him miraculous gifts, which is what was prophesied. Keep going. And, 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And that last statement there, the pastors and teachers, and teachers, the and there is different than the others in the original language. What he's saying is people have, everybody has a different role, right? And you, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't say a prophet's more important than an apostle or an apostle's more important. They're just different roles, right? But he says pastors and teachers, and that's different than evangelists. But I would think an evangelist is a teacher, wouldn't you? See, it's the reason we misunderstand things sometimes, because we don't use God's definition of words. What is, by man's definition in the religious world today, the word pastor mean? Preacher. But isn't that what an evangelist is? It's not God's definition of pastor. No, God's definition of pastor, which the word means overseer, it's the eldership. So he says, pastors and teachers, and the way that he uses the and, they're different. The other's and means these are separate events. This means they're the same. Pastors who are teachers. You can't feed the flock if you can't feed them, can you? How can you feed the flock if you don't have any food? You can feed the cattle if you don't have any hay. You're also going to be out there to actually feed them, right? So he's saying God gave roles to people. Keep going. Here's why. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, same thing Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, it meant mature, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So he says, God gave us these gifts, and they're only here because we're, we're unstable. We're immature. The church is in its infancy state, but there will come a time where all of this will be, will be done away with because we'll have everything we need then. In the meantime, the reason God gave us all these gifts is for the building up of the church. The edification of... How does the church grow? I mean, give me the best plan you could give me to make the church grow. Let's, just, let's get the best plan on the table and let's do it here. How's the church going to grow? The truth. The only thing that will make the church grow is the truth. That's the whole point he's making here. If they have the truth and they walk in it, then all these other things happen. Unity. Togetherness. Faithfulness. Love for each other and the world and God. And evangelism. 
See, the only thing you can control is who you are. You can't control the soil that you're out there in. You can control who you are. And that happens by staying in the truth, right? Okay, I've only got about four minutes, and I've got to go to the rest of the chapter. So, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to licentiousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That's Romans chapter 1 as well. When Paul said, look, the Gentile world walked their own way and so God gave them up. So Paul says, you people don't act like the rest of the Gentile world because those people are walking without knowledge. They have hard hearts and he uses the words beyond hearing. That's a bad place to be. Beyond hearing. Doesn't matter how far your words go. Not everybody's going to listen, are they? Yep. Yep. So he says, don't act like those people that you can't tell anything to. Keep going. Uh, But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That licentiousness and deceitful lust means the rest of the world is going around saying, whatever it is that makes me happy. Whatever it is that gives me pleasure, that's my truth. That's what, boy, do we hear that today? Yeah. Whatever makes me happy is my truth. You see, you can't tell me because it's my truth, not your truth. That's not the way he's presenting it here, is it? Keep going. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. Again, this goes back to what he said in the first part of chapter 4, which is walk, walk like you know. Put on the new man, become something. Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Wait a second. Uh, So keeping the peace like Rich was talking about a while ago by lying is not actually loving one another. And it's not actually going to provide unity. You know why? Because eventually it's always going to be found out. That builds a lot of unity, doesn't it? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Anybody here, when you were early married or whatever, think that that meant you couldn't go to bed mad, so you guys just stay up arguing all night? Because you couldn't go to bed mad? That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying don't go to bed mad. What he's saying is take care of the problems today because if you put it on the back burner... It's still heating, isn't it? That's where we usually put things, on the back burner. You put it on the back burner, it's still heating. You don't handle it, eventually it's going to be too big to handle. So handle what you've got to handle today. That's how you build unity. Stay in the truth and handle the problems you have with each other today. Because if you don't, you give place to the devil. Keep going. Uh, let's see, 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Listen to that. Let him who stole steal no more. So don't act like the world. But then he says work hard, not to get ahead. Work hard to be successful. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? So you can give to others. 
work hard. See, somebody, uh, I've heard many times, this is a great verse to help you figure out how important punctuation is. And punctuation is being lost today. It's one of my pet peeves, texts or emails or whatever. Punctuation is being lost. But let's, if you change the punctuation of this, listen to this. Let him who stole steal. Let, hold on. <laughs> let him who stole steal. No longer, rather, let him labor, working with his hands what is good. Changing the punctuation sounds like God says, look, just go ahead and steal. Don't work so hard anymore. So the punctuation is important, right? He's telling people don't act like the world. All right, I'm almost out. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Grieving the Spirit means they have these gifts, but they don't use them to live it. We could do the same thing today. When God's Spirit delivers this word and we hear it and walk away from it unchanged, we grieve God. We grieve the Spirit. So we've got to be united. Okay, I'm over time already, so let's close with a prayer. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight, and we're thankful for these lessons, and we pray that we will walk in such a way that glorifies you and that we will be united as your family, as we should, always rooted in the truth. Help us, Father, always to depend upon you and not ourselves, and forgive us when we fail you. In Christ's name, amen.